0: You're listening to the Irish Times.
1: Most wonderful time of the year, Pat. That's uh, that's what I hear. The book show is the most wonderful. Exactly. Time. Yes. <laughs> the year, yes. Yes. All that Christmas carry on can uh, can do one. We just we we're just we're just here to talk about sports books. It's very festive though because.
0: What everybody buys their dad when they can't think of a present for Christmas. Not just their dad.
1: Well you No. Know, let's you know let's let's maybe, not, let's not genderize these things. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I was just kind of really speaking about myself. Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah, so what everybody buys your dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the laugh in the background that people can hear on this morning's Added Time podcast is a Foley. Uh, morning, folks. Freelance journalist extraordinaire.
2: (laughs) Less of the extraordinaire.
1: But uh, more pertinently for this, somebody that I dragooned after being a judge with me on the Irish Sports Book of the Year Awards into coming in and helping us out here uh, because I knew that she had read all the books as well.
2: (laughs) With joy I'm here, Malachy, with joy. (laughs) With Christmas joy.
1: Christmas joy. So that's what we are. We are uh, the Added Time Podcast with Pat Nugent and Malachy Clerken. And uh, we are going to get into... Top five sports books of the year. That's that's the way we're going to do it, Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Basically,
0: we worked out a very complicated scoring mm. system that between the three of us, we have broken down into the top five sports books of the year, and we're going to count from five down to one. Mm. But we should say that we didn't agree with each other on on this. So no. It's, it, at no point are we we're not we're not speaking so for the people. Oh, well, quite yes.
1: <laughs> so your your scoring system is essentially proportional representation, is it? Yes. Yeah. With a single transferable book,
2: to Sort of a yeah, exactly. bit, with a bit of sort of the Eurovision thrown in as well. Mm. Was there not some of that? you right,
1: well? actually. It's more Eurovision. It was. you
2: know that dancing <laughs> thing that Malky did there? That was the sort of <laughs> Eastern European dance thing going on. Yeah, I
1: have a feeling that won't make the directors' cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do we like? Do we just start? We started five. Yeah, we started five. Okay. Uh, so I don't know what came five, four, three, two, one. By the way, you know these.
0: I know that's why uh, I'm going to yeah. r- reveal as we go and uh, keep you on your toes. Okay. So number five is Dublin: The Chaos Years, and it, which has a subtitle of. How the dubs made a mess of things for so long and how they turned it around by Neil Cotter. Neil Cotter, indeed,
1: who we had in here um, when you were away, uh, ignoring the podcast, and by the blank look on your face, ignoring listening to the podcast as well. (laughs) I can see.
2: (laughs) And so, why would he on his holidays? In
1: quite, 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 (laughs) in your tour around. He was doing important things. Indeed, you were. (laughs) Um, So, we had Neil in uh, to talk about this. Um, I really, really liked it. Because apart from anything else, there's very few of these books around. You know, I I always think that that at the end of every year, when we, sort of mid-October, when you start kind of digging through these books, autobiography after autobiography, and uh, big name book after big name book, uh, and then there's, you know, academic books and there's all of those. But there's always far too few of these concept books, where somebody takes an idea and drills down into it as best they can. And this was great. Like this was, so for anyone who hasn't read it, it was the years when Dublin did not win all Ireland's between 95 and 2011. Um, And very enjoyable, really enjoyable from the fallout from 95 uh, and onwards from there.
2: Yeah, I I liked it because the narrative at the moment is that Dublin are so powerful and all powerful and how are we ever going to knock them off their pedestal and I love the concept of this and the idea that somebody would actually stop and go hold on, hold Mm. on not so long ago they were actually crap you know there was a load of stuff wrong Mm. Uh, how did it change what happened so like the concept of it got me straight away Mm. and then also uh, the bitchiness of it got me I love that I love the the insight we got Um, you know I could never have conceived that that team of 95 who were littered with stars could be so uh, territorial in mm. the dressing room could be so nasty to the young guys coming in who they felt threatened their places I just just could never you know I'd never seen that before or seen such insight into that before I mean you know it. You it, would
1: have had your suspicions You'd <laughs> have your suspicions and the
2: Keith Barr quotes are just yeah. you know they're just brilliant but, My three uh, so best
1: friends on the Dublin team were Keith Barr Keith Barr Bar, Keith, Keith Barr Bar, Keith Keith Bar. Bar. I mean that,
2: that alone I just laughed out loud so there were loads of reasons why I loved this book and I actually had it in my top five uh, in the air sport uh, nominations mm. we all had to give a top five as well and I had it in um, it's not perfect there's a big mm. there's one big flaw in it I think but um, I, I love the concept of it That's and I think flaw. any I think any GAA fan not alone Dublin fan will actually be this would be a really easy good fun read the flaw in it I felt was that um, he talks to a lot of the managers um, from 95 up to 2010 but he doesn't talk to Pat Gilroy who essentially is the person who turned it all around. Mm. Or John Costello. Um, or, or John Costello, you know, County the, Secretary. and uh,
1: it, it is, yeah. I think it could have, there would nearly have been an argument for um, doing it up to 2010. Yeah. Or, you know, making the cut-off point, maybe 08 or 09 or the, whatever, the end of pillars time, yeah. something like that. Um, because the depth that is in the beginning of it, uh, is is absent from the end of it purely because he obviously I, mean, I absolutely presume that he he obviously tried to, talk Obs- to I was and tra- tried he did to talk try to yeah Kossler. given his research. But yeah. the, the big actors who have turned Dublin football around are absent from the book. There's
0: you know, obviously I mean, no leaks in the camp by the time Gilroy came in as well. Oh,
1: but even He's beyond saying, that, obviously, there's no uh, like there's obviously no Jim Gavin, there's no Declan Darcy, there's no none of the current players and none of that. Um, so it's it's a book about a period. Uh, but I nearly would have cut the period off.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: just to make it... To, a, make, the more,
2: to make the book more rounded, definitely you would have done that because it's a bit like, Ham, you know, it's a bit like Henry Without the Prince. Like, mm. you really did need to get that insight. Like, he talks about what Gilroy did, you know, yeah. disciplining Connolly, all the stuff, how he was pretty ruthless and all the rest. Mm. And it's interesting kind of now, of course, stuff. that he's and interesting course, he's now in as hurling manager as well which would be very interesting but you would like to have got it but but other than that I mean the stuff the insider stuff just all of that I think is really interesting and um, I knew somebody who um, a rabid Dublin fan who um, worked for the Labour Party and used to his his opener on his screen was Mickey Whelan must go Um, and this is is a present I'm giving him for Christmas you know because when you look at it in light of what the player said about some people who I believe were brilliant coaches mm. but they felt weren't great managers. It's really fascinating stuff, you know. And I I just I think it's a really clever idea for a book. Obviously he's a Dublin fan, um yeah. and as you said, maybe that was the mistake was not to finish it earlier before they mm. won that All Ireland Yeah, but
1: I mean it's a small grumble. I wouldn't no, you know I, it was it's absolutely worthy of a place in the top five sports books and to me, in my view best GA book of the year. So we'll move on to number four. You're in um, charge. Yeah. And number four, Peter Crouch,
0: how to be a professional footballer.
1: Yes. Which, which Malachy Clerken has been abused on <laughs> national radio for,
0: for his love of. Him.
2: <laughs> which I don't understand. No, neither do I. Uh, which I I'll explain to the listeners. Uh, Damien Lawler was doing a review elsewhere and said that Malachy <laughs> said that Malachy had, anyway? had recommended him to buy this book and he wanted a refund immediately. <laughs> well,
1: good luck to him. <laughs>
0: Um yeah you should put on record that Damon Lauder is one of the nicest people in, in <laughs> Irish journalism. I'm not sure we should put that
1: on. <laughs> I think I can think of another few other things we can put on record. He,
0: he might have slipped on your Christmas list. All
1: right. <laughs> and I'll be to
2: honest, you know. I, I I probably wouldn't have, have wouldn't have got this book or read it only that Malachi had said to me, have you looked at it? It's quite good. Now,
1: Crouchy should be, uh, you know, listening to this. Yeah.
2: Now I've heard the interviews out. with Crouch in the promotion for this mm. and they've all been, you know, consistently brilliant. He is a, f- a genuinely funny guy and he's written this obviously with um, Fordyce, the one of the BBC. You know, he ruby, does yeah. the podcast with. he does yeah. the podcast with, yeah. Um, What I actually thought, I mean, obviously it goes through all the classics, you know, it's how to be a footballer. It's what it's called. So it goes through everything like the house you should buy, you know, uh, you know, the clothes you should have, the haircuts you should have. um, And he's very witty. But actually, I found some really interesting insight this into it. It. Exactly, into yeah. the life of a professional footballer, into mm. things like how you cope when you're having a scoring drought, how important it is to have the fans on your side, how to deal with the press, I thought was, the interview section I thought was really interesting because very interesting in relation to Raheem Sterling in the last mm. week, I thought. Mm. Um, and he talks, there's great insight into the the World Cup in 2006 yes. and the sort of things that the tabloid press were pulling to try and get quotes at the time that lovely English couple in the restaurant turned out to be tabloid journalists who were spying on you so I thought there was quite interesting insight into mm. it as well as all the fun I don't know what you thought You felt. loved
0: it too I absolutely loved it and it's exactly what you're saying Kleena. I completely agree with it because it, it's almost disguised there's so much sugar you you don't even notice the medicine because you could open it any page you could actually read any the book in any order because yeah. it's just anecdote after anecdote but the cumulative effect of all of it is that by the time you get through it he's actually revealed far more about what it's like to be a modern footballer than any book i've mm-hmm. read in years mm. i th- one part that fascinated me was how he was how he dealt with abuse from a crowd and what it's like yeah. to play a game in front of 40,000 people on elevated terraces baying hatred at you. Mm, calling you a freak. Yeah, and, yeah. How, and how you get your head around that and how it can get into your head. Like, little things like that were fascinating. And even uh, when he was talking about transfers and some of the backstage yeah. things, I found it fascinating that when he was having a transfer, when he, they were leaving London to go to Stoke, he basically went to his wife and said, we're leaving. There was no conversation and they were a good team, obviously, the two of them. And she understood, look, short career, we have to maximize this and little things like that. I mean, right down to the haircuts as well. It was some It was more insight than I've actually. Seen uh, but even many
1: books. even just not to gloss past the the stuff about about moving, like because he is a, a an interesting case study even in that because his wife is you know she's not just uh, a, a kind of a footballer's wife. She is a famous model. Being in London would have been Definitely been important fairly important her, to her. Yeah. But like there was no conversation and she was totally cool with that. Like that, you know, that, that, I thought that was a brilliant insight into the life that you have to have, the, the completely transient nature of being at a club and being there one day out the next and, and how your family, the people around you have to buy into it for that period.
2: And also, even uh, the difficulty of being a striker—how how you're so dependent on the service that you get—all that sort of stuff. That's why I thought it was great. I mean, it's any 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 football fan will love it, I think, because it'll be such an easy read. But exactly what you were saying—you actually learn so much about the business, about agents, about you know the wheeling and dealing that goes on in the background, all that stuff—and yet in a very readable fashion. And sometimes laugh at what out loud it as is
1: well. hilarious. Yeah, it is. Hilarious. It really is. It uh, and like you know. We've, God knows, Clayton. We've read a lot of books in the past couple of months, and a lot of them are hard going. You know, like there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of misery around in in the best books. Like you know that they are. It's almost a key component of some of the best sports books because it's, you know, it's a look behind the facade. You know, a sports book usually deals with somebody who's on TV, so you only see them in the two dimensions. Sports books give you that extra dimension and a lot of the time that dimension is, is misery, it is hardship, it is tough going. Whereas this is just a joy. Like, you know, it, it is it is such a, an enjoyable time was to sit down. Like, I definitely at times when I was reading the books this year, you'd be kind of sitting there in the evening and you'd have the telly on and you... You're
2: looking at the page ha- numbers and going well, well, oh yeah, yeah. You put your like hand
1: up to the shelf and you go, all right, I have to read some of this. But the, then the odd time I'd put my hand on the Crouchy book and go, oh, sound, I can totally spend the next 20 minutes with this guy.
0: Yeah. What else he does, though, that I found slightly fascinating and wondered if he got away with because he's a likeable guy is that he names names the whole Unbelievable. way through the whole way
2: through. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Which you really just don't get yeah. in books nowadays. No. Yeah. No.
2: And, and, it, and, and there's an element of that in Dublin, the chaos years as well, which is mm. what I like because mm. we're so used to athletes now saying as little as possible mm. about themselves and their, particularly about their teammates yes. in case they offend anybody. Yeah. But he like names, names, yeah. tells you about, you know, the personal habits and the weird stuff. That, if I, I, I may use the lighter version that, that footballers what, do.
1: Exactly. That's what separated it from, remember the secret footballer books mm. yes. that we liked a couple of years ago? which ago. Is always player, X, like. player yeah, X player X and this X, yeah, guy yeah. And, and this guy and the, this a certain agent is known for blah 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 and this is like the secret footballer except he's not secret and, yeah. and none of his teammates
2: and readers are. will love that they yeah. love hearing yeah, yeah, yeah. who does the weird yeah. stuff is when they
0: put in names one of my favourite stories in it was um, he has Craig Bellamy yeah. playing for Newcastle yeah. at Anfield yeah. Yeah. and he hears Jamie Carragher give grief to Robbie Fowler yeah. and gets in Carragher's face going who the hell do you think you are giving grief to Robbie Fowler you're nothing you're Jamie Carragher
1: like, <laughs> and Fowler
0: is pissing
2: says, himself laughing and at he it. says Bellamy was one of the worst for yeah. Madden yeah, yeah, yeah. Bellamy never stopped apparently yeah. you know? that's, that's not a, you that's love that's not
0: a particular insight in I think <laughs> we <laughs> no, could have
1: to
0: <laughs> right number three on the list Andy Lee fighter yeah. and actually before we even get into the inside of the book, Andy Lee Fighter has the best cover of a book I've seen all year. It's, um, oh,
2: and with a fascinating story. And about for the a long time, well.
0: yeah. What is the fascinating story well, on the cover?
2: on the on the front cover of the book, there is a fallen fighter, and there's Lee walking away from him. And if you look carefully at the photo, the the face of the fallen fighter is blurred slightly, because he didn't want to. Uh, he wants it to represent a sort of the everyman mm. fighter, but not to actually define that person as somebody who's a fallen person. Do you understand? Yeah. So I just thought, how thoughtful. Like the he went out of his of way. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. Funny, Andy told
1: way. me that in, in an interview I did for Irish Times Magazine uh, back in whenever. Maybe that's, in how, maybe that's yeah. how I learned that. And uh, uh, like as he, he explains, and for people who, who can... Obviously, this is an audio medium, but if anybody can uh, Google the the cover of it, like, it's at the end of a fight. Like, Andy is wrecked in it. Uh, and um, he says that's why he's called fighter as well, not the fighter, you know, because this is the book of every fighter. And all this was was one punch. And the, the difference in the one punch was between Andy walking away and the guy walking away. And he... Very deliberately said, look, we can use that photo, but um, it shouldn't be clear to anybody who the guy is that's lying prostrate, because that wouldn't be fair.
2: You know. and that image, doesn't it? That, yeah. that image and people looked at it of one guy walking away and one guy in on the floor. Like yeah. that is fighter. Yeah. That is such a brilliant he just said, idea,
1: he, he, said, he said, if your man had caught me with that punch, I'd be lying there and he'd be walking away. And if he had shown my face on the front of a book lying prostrate like that, I would have been disgusted. It is why it's a brilliant cover because yeah. as well as being um, kind of, it's, it's in black and white and, and mm. it's beautiful,
0: but it actually perfectly tees up the book that's inside yeah. mm. because it, what comes through, I thought, is that Lee has such respect and love mm. of fighting mm. uh, or boxing, I should say. And, and fighting too. And that comes yeah. through. But I- I- he really adores it. Yes. And he's he's incredibly succinct. That There's quite punchy, mm. if you'll excuse the pun, mm. chapters the mm. whole way through. Every chapter is seen, is, or a lot of chapters are quite short mm. and succinct. It's like he gets in, makes his point and gets out. Yeah. And uh, But he says exactly the right amount. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it's almost, uh, I, I bet he'd be an awesome trainer. Because mm. he, he seems to communicate ideas really quickly and briefly.
2: Yeah. It's a beautiful book yes. about a brutal, a brutal mm. sport, which mm. I think is is what makes it so wonderful. Um, it's lyrical, descriptive. Uh, Malky, I remember you saying before how and I asked it's ghostwritten with Niall Kelly who was no coincidence in some ways probably that Niall was the ghostwriter for Philly McMahon's book last year so he obviously has a brilliant touch but a lot of the descriptions in it he is solely dependent on Andy Lee to remember the things and I, I, I met him I was asking Niall about this recently and he said yeah absolutely he has this incredible photographic recall where he can remember everything so he could remember all of these mm-hmm. things like as you were saying before the, the, the description of the Cronk Gym. so there's that, that to the, it
1: That was the second uh, and I don't know. I can't. I actually, it, it's a couple of months since I read it, so I can't remember exactly where the Kronk Gym comes in. I guess let's, for, for argument's sake, say, say it's sixty pages in, and I was already really enjoying the book. Like I was in from the. There's a, a prologue, an opening sort of three page prologue that is w- w- brilliant, really brilliant. But it's so good, you'd be kind of going. Hmm, yeah, I'm a little, little suspicious. This is nearly too well written. You know, sometimes when you come across a, an autobiography, that sometimes you can see the writer getting in the way maybe a little bit. But I, But that kind of wore off a little bit. And then exactly at the point, there's a description of walking into the cronk gym for the first time. And it is brilliantly written. And Niall Kelly has never stood in the cronk gym. Uh Apart from anything, it's closed now, so like there would have been no chance. It's not even like like he was he had time to go over and have a look around for himself or anything like that. This is all purely Andy Lee, and there's little writerly asides in it that you are just going right. I'm in now. I'm totally in because it is. This is and I've said this in other places. This is the best written ghost written book autobiography, whatever, I've read in a long time, like for what years. What do you mean by that? Uh, ghostwriting is a skill. It's a real talent. Like, uh, you know, and and nobody should be, you know, a bit coy about it or, or, or ashamed of it at all. You know, the, I always say to people, like, it would be ridiculous to imagine that somebody like, let for, for argument's sake, Brian O'Driscoll, uh, could be blessed with two world-class talents. A, playing rugby, and B, writing a book. Like, these people, you know, these sportsmen are fantastic at one thing and they, you know, it should be enough for them. Like, nobody should be ashamed for the fact that they need ghostwriters to write their book. But sometimes, you know, it is such a skill that, that either the writer can get in the way, as in, you know, they can take too many liberties, they could make it about themselves, or they can just get out of the way completely and it feels kind of leaden and dull and it's just a sports person talking the way they talk in T V interviews. You know, you know, and then obviously the next year we really, really didn't want to underestimate that team, blah, blah, blah. You know that kind of way. Whereas this is just it's a if Andy Lee sat down and just had there was a there is a writer in him you can see there is a writer in him mm-hmm. and there isn't too much of Niall kelly in it there isn't too much of Andy lee in it like it's disc- just a lovely lovely flow to it there is
2: a lovely flow to it and and i don't know whether you find that papa that the like there's a description of the power, his right hook mm. and there's just oh, yeah. like uh, two pages or something yeah. and it's just so beautifully written and so beautifully told. You know that comes from the heart mm. and uh, we rarely, we rarely hear or see in boxing books like what it feels like to hit somebody yeah. and how you can find beauty and strength in that. I just think that's what's beautiful about mm. this book and oh there's loads in it. His yeah. relationship with his wife, his relationship with Manny Stewart which is, is an incredible relationship and we know thing, how yeah. important that is How important that is in boxing. My fault with the book uh, uh, and the reason why I didn't make it my sports book of the year which I think a lot of people did have it as was that I felt it ended too quickly I felt that um, after Manny Stewart died he got a new trainer he won a world title and suddenly his career was over and all of that was done in you know very short number mm. of pages uh, it, it, it eight got wrapped pages. Up really it got wrapped up very quickly mm. and to be honest I wanted more I, I felt I could have read more mm. and I think probably that, was, that would be the only criticism I have it. but I think it's a, it's a great book
1: in smashing, smashing book.
0: Yeah, yeah. The detached retina just kind of appeared, and suddenly you're like, "Oh no, really?" Yeah, yeah. 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 And there
2: wasn't much given to the description of his two fights after he mm. won the world title. Mm. That sort of thing. Just because because the buildup had been so long, and because mm. he'd been chasing this dream for so long, I wanted to know more about what happened after. I mm. think
0: mm. it's a very tender
1: book for a boxing. is, really? isn't it? That's it really word, is. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Because because it cause it's essentially it's three love stories. Like it's. Andy's love story with boxing, Andy's love story with Manny Stewart and Andy's love story with Maud, his wife. And the three of them are woven together really beautifully. But yeah, tender is exactly the word for it because there's a real soul to it.
0: Sticking with boxing for for book number, our our second book of the year, our second placed book of the year, The Silver Medalist, is The Lost Soul of Eamon McGee by Paul D. Gibson, as it's credited on the cover. Indeed. So this book is
1: Different to it hey, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah, There's, tender is not the word for this. Is, you know, we would, you would not say tender for it. No, like this. This won the the two's major sports book awards uh, on both sides of the IRC this year. The Air one on this side and the William Hill one on on the UK side. Um, it is the story of Eamon McGee, the Belfast. Uh, Boxer who did win a world title, uh, but that's almost the least interesting <laughs> aspect of the book. It's a book about growing up in the Aridane in the Troubles. Uh, it's a book about a guy who's an alcoholic, uh, uh, drug addict, uh, terrible womanizer, uh, in and out of jail, shot, stabbed, saw his found his his son murdered, um, and a million other strands that you could. You could get through uh, on the list. Uh, I think it's an extraordinary book. It really, really is. Like, Eamonn McGee is not a likable guy. I uh,
2: utterly, utterly dislike him. Yeah. In every sense. Yeah. In every sense, you know, it hits women, you know, there there yeah. are multiple, multiple reasons yeah. not to like him and I didn't like him mm. but I couldn't put this book down mm. um, and it was the last book uh, on the judging panel, you know, we had to, I don't know how many books mm. but it was the last one I read because it was the one I thought that I'd like least and I just, I, I my first reading, I read it for three hours at night and I couldn't put it down. Um, I think, we all, there are all there's such personal reasons why you like books uh, like I grew up you know in the 70s watching the violence of the North on TV mm-hmm. and this book is all about that as well as about boxing and about this person so um, the detail of it there's a big argument to say that the writer is too close to the subject that he is too sympathetic to the subject even politically from his political angle but I don't think that that weakens the book um, it's the level of detail in the book it also made me stop on so many occasions and think oh my lord what was it like you know it's the first time I think I understood what what it must have been like for people who lived in the Oidine at the heights of the Troubles Mm. his personal story is extraordinary it's not excused Um, he had brothers who you know were not violent aggressive nasty bullies um, and and, and the writer makes that point as well Um, so I thought all that was interesting Um, I just found it a fascinating political social and sporting history because again you know he, he 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 was good enough to go to the Barcelona Olympics mm. but wouldn't do a box off you know with the IABA refused to do a box off the typical of him you know sub, such an obdurate person yeah. Um. so you know anybody who's interested in Irish boxing would be interested in that whole area of it as well Um. I saw uh, Tommy Conlon in Sunday Indo uh, yesterday he was saying that he felt that it was the wrong choice that this was, was you know that this person was, was really pretty obnoxious and that the Andy Lee book should have won and he said that he felt that the writer again, you know, excuse too much about the subject. Um, but for me, the amount of work that went into it, he, one, one of the things he said was that um, he felt that McGee was not a reliable character because of his mm. history of addictions mm. and various other things. But the, actually, when you read it, the amount of research that he goes to, the amount of people he talks to, he's also from Belfast, but 10 years younger than McGee, um, so would have had some limited you know, experience of the Troubles. Uh, but for me, I love a sports book to look under the nails of, mm-hmm. of the person that it's about you know um, I don't know how much dirt there was under Andy Lee's uh, fingernails maybe when I finished that book uh, you know I was disgusted by the amount of dirt that's <laughs> under Amy McGee's fingernails but I think a book that tells you more about sport but tells you about life and about their life mm-hmm. and just all the things that influenced them for me they're the best sports books the ones that look into their into their souls
0: I, f- I have a, an aversion to reading about the troubles in general if I can avoid it and but with Brexit going on at the moment I was reading this while Theresa May was shuttling back and forth between Brussels and you couldn't but think about the backstop. I thought that the it's one of the best um, visualisations of what goes on in mm. Belfast that I've ever read. It's absolutely visceral and I agree. Terrifying. Mm. Makes it like it seem like the most terrifying place to grow up in and Anybody who came out of it, mm. like, as he, like he is not a likeable character, but there are parts of it that you read and think, oh my God, how could anybody come out of there with, with all their,
2: their mental, any, their mental health?
1: Any, and, yeah, with any and, degree exactly. of normality. And I say, well, that's obviously, like, that's a, you know, it's an unfortunate phrase, but that is a time bomb up there, you know, the, that the, the mental health of, a, of a f- two communities of a whole generation
2: Mm-hmm. of the part the boxing plays in Belfast as well yeah. and both I mean he was very friendly with Wayne McCullough from the opposite mm-hmm. side of the of the political divide as well if you like there's a, there's so much of interest like there's a the, the last few pages there's, there's a a piece in the last few pages about it yes. uh, just you know uh, I thought oh, really, Nearly
1: the stories they left out
2: Well yeah well oh, absolutely <laughs> but also The what epilogue he, what is kind of he the says stories about, they left
1: out of the book they,
2: Oh I mean he, he sent him a, but, but I thought you know why it's such an amazing book to get this book written because the subject is so difficult to this work. This is with my as like.
1: Well. This is this. This to me is the achievement of the book. I mean, I, I, and and we can get a little bit bogged down, even almost talking about Eamon McGee here, yeah. because the star of the book to me is Paul Gibson, the writer. It's brilliantly written because I can't get over. I can't get over uh, essentially his his stamina, his sort of staying power. To decide, no, uh, there is a book to be written here about this guy. And, and I us, am and going to, keep, to do keep it. dealing with him. Like, this took him three years. And it was a matter of, okay, this guy has a cinematic story of, so, of some description. But Tommy is not wrong. Like, you mm. can't trust this guy to tell his story. Like, his his version of the story is not trustworthy. To then sit down and go around the Ardawn and go around his family and go around his coaches and go around people who knew him and to do interview after interview after interview and keep pushing that rock up the hill and to, as I put it in the paper, to cat herd them into a readable book. is an extraordinary achievement. It really is fantastic. You mentioned shortly after the
0: book won the Irish Sports Book of the Year Award that it had been rejected by 13 publishers. I don't understand how you could read the first 10 pages of that yeah. and not want to publish it.
1: Because this was the extraordinary thing. Um, and, you know, he, Paul Gibson himself was saying this when we were interviewing him, Clayton, that, you know, it says something pretty depressing about the, the publishing industry. They weren't turning down, you know, a kind of a, a pitch for to tell the story of Eamon McGee. Like, it, it wasn't a kind of a nebulous thing. They were turning down the finished book. They were saying, this oh, is and, and some of them, they and said, some
2: of them said that you know we know it's going to be probably in the awards next year, yeah. but it's not for us. In other words, it's too dirty for us to touch. That was the impre- impression I got. They was. seemed.
1: I think it was that they, but you know, they're commercial enterprises yes, in the end. Boxing, book, boxing books don't particularly sell all that well, um, and certainly not boxing books about uh, about you know a kind of a journeyman guy from the nineties. Don't you know?
2: But is also, Maliki, I think it is, is it also that we want our, sp- w- the, the narrative for sport yeah, is that yeah. athletes, glory. And, uh, it's glory, yeah. glory yeah. and yeah. wonderful people yeah. and redemption. There's no redemption in this book. There isn't a nice person in this book. Yeah. He isn't a lovely sporting hero. You know, there's none of that in this book. So I think that it goes against the grain of a sports right. books so much. Yeah. And I think publishers would have been afraid of it for, for multiple reasons, yeah. including that he's yeah. not a hero, no. you know, and you put down the book and you will, you know, Oh my Lord. Yeah. What a person. Funny enough,
1: I don't know if I'll ever read it again. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. You know, some books you kind of finish, like, and you go, you know, I keep that on the shelf and I, and I revisit. Like, I'll, I'll be picking up Crouchy's book in, in yeah. 10 years and flicking through yeah. it. You this know. is a social history, this is a political history, yeah.
2: this is interesting in boxing terms um, and just in about the human cause, but particularly, I think, for Irish people about what it was like to live. And it's not an objective look at it from either the writers or the subject's view, but I think it's a fascinating and brilliant book.
0: So before we uh, reveal the number one Indeed. book, we're going to do some honourable mentions. Um ones that didn't make the top five but that we still have good respect for. Clina?
2: Um, there are a few. Um, I liked uh, Paul Rouse's The Hurlers which is essentially you know the hist- mm. historical book. Um, I know I heard Maliki saying something about it. I thought the, the, this should actually been renamed uh, Wasn't Cusack an awful bollocks um, <laughs> because Michael Cusack comes <laughs> you really do look at the depth of yes. the craziness that was Michael Cusack mm. but it's essentially about Michael Cusack and, and Davin and and also, you know, how really, essentially, where the history of the GA comes from, faction fighting, right, fighting over rules, drinking, mm-hmm. gambling. I just thought it was a great book, but it's not an easy read. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there are books that are important historically, I think. Mm-hmm. And, now, and in fairness,
1: it is an easier read, it's than, an easier than, read. The than, most than historical books historical tend books. to be or Absolutely. deserve to be. But, yeah. it, but yes, exactly. Yeah. You kind of gotta want it, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then I liked, I liked um, Driven as well, the Rosemary Smith book because her story is so extraordinary, and she was such a brilliant driver. And she, I just, it's a very easy read. And one other one that um, I think that will get that that will get mentioned, I think, is um, because Limerick hurling obviously had such an amazing year. Um, there's two guys down in Limerick who produce a little magazine down there for primary schools, and they have done the county board coffee table book mm. for Limerick Hurling this year so I think that anybody who's well, interested at, it's at called last. At Last which yeah. is a brilliant title it's 20 euro which is actually great value mm. I think for it because it's literally the A to Z of Limerick Hurling in the past year and um, and all the proceeds go to the J and to the Players Fund so I think that's one that Limerick fans will be interested in
1: Anarchy uh, two other ones two American ones uh, the Tiger Woods book is like it's not flawless it's not perfect it's not like if you have read other Tiger Woods books, uh, then before then the longer this book goes on, the more stuff you're going to come across that you may have read before because it kind of cherry picks from Hank Haney's book, Tom Callahan's book, you know that kind of way. But uh, definitely the first kind of 150 200 pages of it. It's Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict and Armand Um his early days, Earl Woods, all that sort of stuff is pretty bracing. Like, Earl Woods is, to talk about an, an unlikable character, you know, like, this guy that was sort of hailed as the model of a, of a sporting parent was, he was not a good guy, like, and, and I would say not a good father, objectively, you know, from reading this. Um, so it's it's worth reading. And uh, one that I'm kind of reading at the moment after, you know, April a Deluge kind of thing, Um Big Game, the American Football yeah. book by Mark Leibovich. Uh, I am rattling through it, and it is mighty Good. crack. Oh, great! So it's basically the last sort of four or five years in the NFL and all the. Controversies, you know, Kaepernick, all that sort of stuff. Everything, concussion, Deflate Gate. There. Oh, there's a because hu- he's a Patriots fan, yeah. so there's a huge amount of Deflate and there's a huge amount of Roger Goodell, um, all the concussion stuff. You know, just this this insane cultural product. You know, this insane pillar of American life that is in mortal danger. That you that we you know we watch it and we're not even you, you know it's kind of. Is Rome Rome could be burning here, and you know we're we're still enjoying it every Sunday night. Like um, a book, really great, uh, big game by uh, Mark Leavitt. well worth it, now.
0: and really benefits from being written. Completely bitchily.
1: Oh, totally bitchily. This guy's a political writer, uh, you know, completely seeped in the bitchiness of Washington, and so that's what. Yeah, that's why I'm really enjoying it because he's having great. He's having the time of his life writing this. There's Another guy who names and, names, yeah, And yeah. so
2: and so often, great sports books are written by non-sports yeah. journalists, which I think uh, is really important. They bring that objectivity and also the skills of another trade to it sometimes as absolutely. well. I can't wait to get that one.
0: Mm. So onto the added time, sports book of the year um, by. Do we call it common consent?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you're,
1: you're, you're the invig- invigilator, invigilator. You, you've, you've counted up the votes. Uh, yes, th- this
0: is what the votes give uh, number one spot to Tony 10, the astonishing story of the postman who gambled 10 million and lost it all. Well, it was my number one.
2: It wasn't my number one, it was my number two.
0: It was my number one.
2: No, my number three, actually. It was my number three,
0: yeah. Uh, written by Declan Lynch and Tony O'Reilly. Um, it was released actually back in... March, which oftentimes can of yeah. and damage, uh, you know, nobody ever seems to release the Oscar films back in March, do they? But uh, but this one is worthy of staying the uh, test of time. But I'll start with a question, Clina, on it to you,
2: is it a sports book? Well, there was a big debate in the and the on the on the airsport panel over was this is. Uh, uh, I know I went to Batford, I know Malkey, just by coincidence, the two of us went to Batford and said oh my God, this is such a sports book. But there were people in the room who said, it's not a sports book. It's not It's not about sport. For me, uh, gambling has become so indivisible from modern elite sport um, and modern life and everything related to sport now and people going to matches and constantly on their phone. And I just felt it's, it's such a, a revelation in terms of uh, how much gambling has infiltrated um, elite sport and um, there were some things in it that shocked me um, in terms of a vulnerable man who got caught in the spiral of addiction, um, you know, being invited to things by a major um, gambling company, mm. bringing him to the derby, bringing him to whatever it was the Europa League final. Europa
1: League final in Dublin, final, yeah. Final, in um, the Paddy Power box. Paddy Power. So.
2: And, it is um and do you know what I loved about this book as well? Um, there are very few um, addiction services in Ireland for many for many addictions uh, we 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 are so weak on government support for addicts and um, it gave you an insider's view into Kuonwer down in Thai, which is the concilier has run for years. I was fascinated to see mm. what went on inside that. I was also fascinated to see what on, went on inside prison He yeah. um, gave you insights into all of this, but it is essentially um, a book about the horrors of gambling, and there's a a series where he 's in Cyprus getting married, and um he still owes money and he goes to cyprus just uh, thinking I, I this is great i I turn off the phone i won 't have my laptop i can 't gamble and there's a there's a computer inside the thing and the door of the hotel. And yeah, that chapter just almost broke my uh, every page. I was like, oh, I can't. I can't turn it over. Mm.
0: It's worth saying in case people don't know anything about it, that when we say the the postman who gambled 10 million, he didn't start with 10 million and it wasn't his own money that he was gambling. He eventually ended up stealing 1.75 million from the post office to pay for his gambling habit as he was going along. And the reason it's a sports book in our minds is because. It, it was only sport that he bet on. Mm.
1: um i I mean I, I feel like I've been banging on about this book for a long time uh, and uh, but I uh, dragooned you into reading it recently. What did you think?
2: i do you think it's a sports book?
0: I didn't when I heard the pitch, but after finishing it, I did think it was a sports book. Mind you, you can make arguments about that uh, uh, you could argue, you could definitely argue it either way. but what I found amazing about it was that it? I thought it was a sensationally clever book. It it started off and everything is about, it gets you into the addict's mind Mm. incredibly well because it starts actually quite slowly. And there's a middle section where the numbers have gone astronomical and it's heading towards the point where he starts stealing money. Mm. And the whole thing, it's just like a propulsive rush through this this middle section of the book. That you're, you're almost reading desperate to get the end of and he's telling you about how his mind is wearing and it's started from the small acorns of a one euro bet yeah. when that's, he opened up.
1: I mean like to anybody anybody of our generation or, or, or younger who has the Paddy Power app on their phone mm. or whatever betting app on their phone like that's the terrifying bit. It is terrifying book. Because it's not like he started gambling uh, and then like he, he started at the cliff's edge and then jumped directly over yeah. it. He gambled the way we gamble uh, for 10 years. Mm. Yeah. You know?
2: And it's how insidious it is and how it, for me, it's just, as I said, I just think it seeps into every pore of elite sport now. Yeah. And very interesting that, you know, in, in Britain last week, they, they made a law to stop the gambling ads running during live football and on the sides of the pitches. That's the first major thing. So I think this book was almost ahead of its time. Obviously, Declan Lynch, who's written it with Tony yeah. O'Reilly, has had addiction problems himself in terms of alcohol and also talks, you know, understands, I think, the mind of an well, addict. I, I,
1: I, a little like like Eamon McGee, like uh, the Eamon McGee book, like to me, Declan Lynch is the, is the hero of this book. Like this is a, re- like there is one, I'd say nearly one person in the country that could have done this story the justice that it has been done here. And it is Declan Lynch who has been writing uh, almost like a crusade about the insidiousness of gambling for years upon years upon years and the you know, he has found the perfect subject to, to illuminate everything that he's been talking about. Um, but I remember the week before the judges meeting, actually, Clayna, I read this book back in, back in March when it came out and thought, geez, what a book, but had left it aside, hadn't come across it again. Uh, and literally, I think, two nights before the judges meeting, because I'd been, you know, go, going through all the other books, I said, "Geez, I must. I must give this a. I must read about ten pages of this just to, you know, get it back in my head." I sat down and I'd say I was sixty pages in before I put it down. It's so compelling. It's so engrossing. So easy
2: to read and
1: so just so addictive. Like it (laughs) just just, written very cleverly,
2: as you said. The structure is very clever. It
1: just grabs you and doesn't let you go, and like the like the the weekend where he he won 465 grand before betting it down and which includes the most repulsive scene in the book where Paddy Power the guy from the TV ads actually rings him on the Monday morning and says our website is down but if you need to do a bet you know this is my personal mobile number and I'll get it on for you because they needed him to keep gambling to give back the half a million he had won over the weekend which he did which he does he gives it back um the the couple of pages there where, where he's detailing the 20 grand on the yeah, norwegian netball team and the, the and this and that at like Zog. at like 5 past 4 in the morning you're just going oh my lord this is just terrifying another, absolutely terrifying
0: another thing that i thought declan did amazingly enough was that it starts with um, tony puts on this bet he goes there mm. and it's exactly the distancing that a gambling addict needs Mm. to do the things that he does. And the first time it switches into uh, I wake up here is when he goes into uh, for treatment. Yeah. It's like he suddenly has agreed he now owns his mistakes yeah, yeah. and I thought even that as a real simple thing is an ingenious And he,
2: and of he of does it. own his mistakes which I think mm. is, is very interesting and it goes, if people haven't got it yet Tony 10 was his ID on his online Paddy Power, on Patty Power so it's it a brilliant name for the book I think yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. and it was his persona exactly and you're right I hadn't even spotted that that's very clever the way he switched back into himself then when it all comes tumbling down but it's so it's such an easy read as well I think people think oh it sounds horrific you know you'd have to get through all these pa- I, no, no. that's a such it's such a well written yeah. book again you'll fly through it a bit like the Andy Lee book yeah.
1: uh, and it's funny that's, it's funny you say that my mum read it on she w- was staying in my house one night and was looking around for something to read on the train she'd go to Kerry and come back the next day and she read it between going to Kerry and coming back on the train so two train journeys she had it read um, that is our book of the year Tony Ten uh, by Declan Lynch and Tony O'Reilly and uh, Needless to say, anyone that we have talked about here uh, is worth reading. Like we haven't talked about a, a, a bad book. It's been uh, a good year for for books in Ireland. Sports books, in really Ireland. good. I, I must say, I think that the top three there: uh, Declan Lynch's book, uh, Paul Gibson's book, and Andy Lee's book. Uh, I think they're a fair distance clear in my mind from from everything else. Mm. There, I mean, that they're that's outstanding quality now. Uh, for for the top of the shop for a sports book year. Um, and that is it. Clina, uh, thank you so much for coming in and helping you us reckon. out with that. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Mal. Thanks, Jenny, behind the desk. And thanks, everybody else. Uh, take it easy, folks, and we will see you. We have a special show coming out on Christmas Eve, which is next Monday, uh, our review of the year. Uh, and otherwise, we will uh, see you on the other side. Take it easy.